0: Speed and this is the Interim Leader podcast brought to you by Odgers Interim, the UK's leading provider of interim management services. The third sector is integral to the lives of those most in need in our society. It is a sector full of passion, dedication, and individuals committed to causes they believe greater than themselves. But it is also a heavily congested space. Multiple charities fighting the same battle will inevitably compete for the same pot of money. Unnecessarily duplicating resources, limiting their potential for growth, and ultimately diluting the cause's message. However, it is a problem that can be addressed when charities look to partner with, collaborate, or merge with each other. These types of partnerships are incredibly difficult to make work. They can involve extensive change and pose no small amount of risk. Nonetheless, getting it right means delivering far greater value to beneficiaries, a significant decrease in costs and creates a more compelling message for the cause. Today I'm joined by Louise Beals and she's the head of our charities practice. She's going to tell us how charities can form successful partnerships and avoid the many pitfalls of the process. Louise, it's good to have you on the Interim Leader.
1: Thanks very much for having me.
0: So Louise, can you start by explaining perhaps why two charities would would want to form a partnership or perhaps merge with each other?
1: Good question. I think, ideally, from a purely altruistic angle, it creates a more compelling, all-encompassing message for the cause, kind of like one voice. The power of one voice could help deliver the purpose sooner. It would avoid duplication of effort and the resources. But sadly, and we're seeing a lot more of it now, the reality is it's a tough market out there, tough competition for funding. Funding and fundraising for charities generally is it's a really, really challenging time. Um, so by reducing overheads, by sharing those costs, for example, perhaps back, up, back office resources can be a, a, an effective um, reason why charities might want to come together. I think also with that, um, there would be shared relationships with key fundraisers, um, an opportunity to enter into new markets and also you're sharing the expertise of the people internally.
0: Okay, so if I'm a charity and you know I'm thinking, okay, at some point I need to consider this option, what, what point should I start looking at merging or forming a partnership? with another charity to create this one voice that you talk about?
1: Well, I think as, as I just mentioned, um, too often mergers acquisitions are often considered a last resort. Arguably, they should be regularly considered by the Board of Trustees as part of their risk assessment and capability review. Perhaps partnerships and closer working with others should be discussed far more regularly. And all involved with a charity should be encouraged to help identify opportunities for working with other organisations to ultimately deliver a better service for their beneficiaries. I think that the current funding landscape means that partnership working should really be on the agenda for many charities. And also a regular eye on the Charity Governance Code, by the Board is a must. That is a gentle reminder of the charity's purpose and Board's responsibilities. I do see many loose collaborations, uh, often formal consortiums, for example, across the hospice sector, the military, or you know, collections of health conditions. This can be a great start uh, amongst charities that may share a particular cause. It opens up the conversation, reduces tension across the executive group, and builds the one voice approach. There are, as I mentioned, many examples where this is happening well. So it kind of stops short of a formal merger but does bring innovation and common purpose. Um, I think also charities should be building a culture that looks outwards and that has a growth mindset. Uh, I think from there they can build trust with other organisations more easily. Remaining agile with a clear sense of purpose and expertise will help charities to adopt a lesser degree of ownership over a particular area. However, it does go without saying that there has to be a shared vision of why. Why come together? The benefits and the future vision have to make sense for it to work. There has to be clear objectives and outcomes. They need to be watertight.
0: That's really interesting, Louise. What I get from that and what I imagine is, and you will have seen this, I'm sure, but i'm sure during this time of partnership merger loose collaboration whatever it might be there are many many common mistakes and i think it would be important to talk about what those common mistakes are uh, or and um, you know what are the challenges that are faced by by charities when they come together
1: sure um so we talked about forming a partnership or or a merger and uh, um, and perhaps either one party coming from a position of weakness. Uh, when there is a financial crisis happening, or perhaps even organisational difficulties, this can really cause you know, further problems, and the partnership might be rushed. So they're going ahead with it for all the wrong reasons. So so there's an element
0: of desperation. One of the partnerships is weaker. It's a situation where actually financially they're struggling. And they're really putting in a position of, okay, we need to merge to survive.
1: Exactly. That's exactly it. Um, And I think that what you see is um, if you can solve these financial and organizational challenges first before entering into a partnership, then you see stronger financial planning and then both parties can prepare themselves then for any cultural and resourcing changes. So really getting the basics right first. Cool. Um, another thing that I see and you know that chief execs talk about is perhaps this idea of not getting the board on board. Um, it is entirely possible that certain board members from both organisations will have to step down in the process. So it's really important to ensure that you have their buy-in from the start. Board resistance and an aversion to perceived risk needs to be addressed using evidence-based strategy. There's also, you know, an inability to let go. We do see, you know, founder syndrome. It's notoriously cited as a reason for holding an organisation back. So whilst delivering charitable purpose may be ongoing, in some cases, it may be achieved and then the job is done. So, deciding on the organisation's end game is a decision often overlooked by the board and the executive. New five year strategies are automatically written every five years, assuming that the organisation will still exist. And I wonder how often this assumption is challenged
0: that's really interesting so, so so what I'm hearing is okay sort yourselves out internally before entering to merger talks um, be cognizant of ego I think that, that can get in the way mm-hmm. um, but also I suppose you know have a plan and a strategy of where you want to go in the vision so you can marry those up So once you've done that, right, once you've sorted out the internal issues, you've got board level buy-in, what are the key steps or, you know, the first key steps that two charities should take in the partnership process?
1: Communicate. Okay. Communicate, communicate, communicate. There can't be enough of it. I think it's really important to engage with all of your people and share the reason for the partnership or merger internally. Employees in both organisations need to buy into the vision of the bigger picture, feel excited by it and, and really you know, look forward to the positive change that will come about as the result of this partnership or merger. This is especially important in the charity sector as employees tend to have a much stronger affinity for the values and for the cause. People respond to change differently and at different speeds so everybody needs to be brought along on this journey together. You know, if you don't communicate effectively, rumour and conjecture spread. uh, And and then, you know, sadly, you might see a lot of people leaving because they're concerned about their own future career security. So to mitigate this, all communication needs to be led with the message of, we want you all to stay. Um, I think natural attrition can be expected, of course, but this will then happen over time rather than a big sort of mass exodus right from the start. Then charities need to look at the necessary resourcing changes, potential site moves, perhaps a change in the back office or at the IT system. Creating a shared service centre model for both charities to begin pooling these resources is a, often a good way to begin this process. It's also worth bearing in mind that successful partnerships are not always an even split of resources. You may have one charity with a really efficient back office while the other might be more focused on delivering frontline services. So this is also something that needs to be incorporated into any kind of planned partnership or merger and how it may affect the culture. And I think it's the cultural piece here, which undoubtedly is perhaps above all the most important, particularly within this sector. Um, You know, aligned culture and values. The transactional element, money, facilities, back office, organisational structure, of course, all critical to the success of the merger or partnership. But this can fail if the cultural element is overlooked. People are at the heart of the organisation and their engagement and how it feels to go to work is vital to get right, because if this fails, everything fails. You need strong, emotionally intelligent leadership by the chief exec and the senior leadership team. It's that that will create the magic to make it work. But be mindful, it will take time to settle down, perhaps even up to a year in some cases. When culture fails to align, then the benefits of the merger are slow to come to fruition. And, and sadly, in some cases, if at all. So that's, that's a
0: really powerful insight. I, I suppose one question that I have is, related you talk about culture and you talk about values and, and and values and culture can sometimes be very emotionally tied to the brand of the organization that one works for. Um, at what point should in your experience or you know if you can give some advice, what, what point should charities begin that process of merging their brands into one?
1: Mm, good question because brand is you know is everything it's it's the cornerstone of its capabilities it's what the charity's supporters will buy into whether that be from a fundraising campaigning perspective or even attracting volunteers it's a it's a you know, a brand may have been around for years you know in some cases you know over a century it's a carefully nurtured commodity that is both the charity's legacy and the force that attracts many legions of supporters. So because of the, the importance, changing it or considering changing it really needs to be done delicately with the utmost care. Um, you know, obviously, every other aspect of the partnership or merger needs to be complete before this step in order to mitigate associating associating the new brand with any problems or challenges that arise throughout the process. So to put this into perspective, some of the most successful charity partnerships may wait up to a year before completing all of the practical steps before announcing the new brand. Sometimes a completely new brand may not be appropriate. Perhaps adoption of one of the existing brands might be more beneficial in order for continuity and relevance to supporters and beneficiaries.
0: Finally, Louise, do do you have any advice for charity chief executives who who may be considering forming a partnership or or actively looking now to find a partner?
1: I think if they were to look at themselves first, they've got to realise that they may have to hand over aspects of their role or even hand over the reins entirely to somebody else so that true sense of charity first personal career aspirations second it is a leap of faith you know you you can plan you can hope that it will land how you expect it to but there will be an element of self-sacrifice in this for those leading it so a chief exec going into it must wholeheartedly believe that um, the, the new vision is the best option for the beneficiaries and be aware that as a result they might be finding themselves looking for a new role so bravery confidence and ambition both for themselves and for the charity are needed um beneficiaries of course need to remain front and center in any discussions and this requires a different mindset and leadership style away from competitiveness and in some cases, inefficient use of charitable resources. I think a protectiveness of independence can be both a virtue and a curse. Um, it can always be difficult to find the time to do this. Uh, charity chief execs are always Busy. I mean, chief executive's of any organisation are always busy, but it can be really hard to find the time to look at this. There's always, always something else coming up that takes priority and that gets in the way. Um, it may be worth considering appointing an independent external change manager. This could be highly valuable in driving the process. Or alternatively, perhaps putting together a small discrete task force or shadow board, perhaps made up of a small group of trustees from both organisations that can help to build trust and get to understand each other's priorities. Um, And finally, find a friend, you know, find a mentor, perhaps somebody who's been there, done it, speak to peers, uh, membership bodies, Akivo, NCVO. They are all there with help available. Um, Look online, do your research. Lots of case studies out there of charity mergers or partnerships that have gone well and perhaps those that haven't gone so well. Um, And also be brave. Talk it through with the board. Bring them on board in terms of your thinking straight away. Uh, This perhaps all sounds obvious, but being able to understand how previous partnerships or mergers have failed in the sector will be valuable to the success of the next one.
0: Thank you very much, Louise. It's, um, it's been really great to have you on the show. I'm sure that your insights into what is not only an organisationally complex, but also emotionally challenging process will be enormously helpful for professionals operating in the third sector.
1: Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. and And really I'm to thank many key players in the sector for their time and input during my discussions with them over the past 12 months. There's definitely a will in the sector. Most chief execs are open to conversations with other organisations. So by creating this open dialogue, we might see greater momentum over the next couple of years.
0: Thank you to everyone who has joined us for this episode of The Interim Leader. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do like, subscribe and follow for more fascinating insights from our network of consultants and interim leaders.